0: All right, take your Bible this morning and make your way to Matthew. Uh, Matthew Mark's Gospel, chapter 5. Mark's Gospel, chapter 5. And we're going to begin in verse 21. So you'll want to get there. We're going to pick that up here in just a second. I titled this message as I looked at this whole section together as a whole. There's really one big story going on in all of Mark's Gospel. But um, in this particular section from verse 21 to 43, it's about waiting. How many of you love to wait? No. no I mean, I'm the kind of guy that stands in front of the microwave and yells, hurry up. <laughs> we, are, we are by nature not very patient people, are we? Um, Carlos Zafran said this. He said, waiting is the rust of the soul. <laughs> right? That's how I feel. Um, another philosopher said this waiting is the art of hoping so which is it i'm not sure i think it depends on who you are and how long you're waiting and what it's for right so we're gonna we're gonna uh, encounter really i think this i think this whole account is really about one guy and his name is 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 jairus i think it's about him Now, we're going to have the woman come in there because it's part of Jairus' story. And I think it's part of the overarching theme that Jesus is, that we're trying to learn through Mark's gospel. And that is that God's got a plan and God works on his timetable. And here's the problem with that. How many of you know, God's timetable isn't always our timetable, right? Have you ever wanted to tell God, could you just hurry up and do this? Or could we hurry up and be past this chapter of our life. Um, so we're going to look at that. So I want to talk to you about hurry up and wait and what waiting might um, benefit us and how. So the first point in there is, is simply this, is that this, the delay creates a beautiful dependence upon God. Delay creates a beautiful dependence upon God. So look at verse 21. And I'll read through verse 23 to start with. Now, remember, he's just healed a demoniac on the Gentile portion of the side of, uh, of the Sea of Galilee in the Decapolis. He's just healed, cleansed this uh, and freed this Gentile demoniac. Remember? And he told him, go tell, you stay here and go tell everybody what God has done for you. And he, and he does. So, one man. He left the multitudes, goes to one man, comes back. Um, and here we are. So he had taught parables in that very boat that day. He calmed a typhoon on the way over to the other side, delivered a hopeless, demonized man, and now a synagogue ruler, by the way, who Jesus may have interacted with the last two years, probably did. Uh, He makes his way through the crowd and falls at Jesus' feet, begging for the life of his 12-year-old daughter. Let's look how Mark puts it in verse 21. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. It's almost as if he never left Capernaum, right? He comes back, and and it it appears like in no time at all, a huge crowd had gathered around him right where he left off. Um, And I don't know how that worked. They did not have Facebook, Instagram, or texting but I, I had to believe that they, somebody was looking out. They had a lookout there waiting for that boat. They knew what Peter's boat looked like. And uh, somebody was waiting. And as soon as they saw that boat, they started to send messengers to the nearby villages and say, hey, uh, Jesus of Nazareth is back. And everybody shows up. So this, this crowd quickly gathers around Jesus. Verse 22, and, and I like how Mark puts it, and behold, words, and look, look, look at this. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be healed, and, and she will live. So if you get the picture here, Jairus is a ruler or a manager of one of the local synagogues. And that's why I think Jesus has probably already had some interaction with him because he's been there for at least a year and a half in that area. Um, So Jesus was probably familiar with him at least by face and vice versa. So he's, he's kind of the administrator of the local synagogue, if you will now jesus this is what we know jesus and the religious establishment were clearly at odds and jesus himself was considered a big problem um, to the religious establishment and they had considered him not only an adversary but an adversary in need of removal and by removal mark tells us they meant death so so think about this Jairus's people the guys he's working for, the religious establishment, the Pharisees and scribes, as a manager of the synagogue that, that those people teach in, they want Jesus dead. But Jairus has a daughter who's about to die and he throws all of that away and, he, and, and, and here's, here's Jairus. He comes to Jesus anyway. I think that's interesting. None of, none of it matters to him. His job doesn't matter to him because for the life of his 12-year-old daughter, this, this guy is willing to lose it all. He's willing to throw it all away. And I think, can't we relate to that in some sense today? Right? There's stuff you're willing to chuck it all in for. <laughs> right? You're willing to lose I'll do another career, whatever I've got to do. And this life of his little girl was one of those things for Jairus. I guess we all have one of those things. And, and I wonder what that might be for you. And he has faith in Jesus' ability to heal his 12-year-old daughter because we see that. Um, his posture matches his plea, doesn't it? He comes and he literally falls down at Jesus' feet and he begs him, please come and touch my daughter so that she might live. He has, he has faith that Jesus could do it if only he can get her there. So I want you to imagine there's this big crowd. I don't know how Jairus got to the front of it. But I tell you what, if your kid is sick and the only hope is Jesus, you're getting to the front of that crowd, aren't you? So he got through and he falls at Jesus' feet. He says, come with me. And, and, and Jesus is more than happy. Look at verse 24. So Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. So in other words, this crowd is growing and Jesus is headed to Jairus' house. Now, when you have a massive group of people around you, and it, and it probably numbered into thousands, it's, it's, it's slow going, isn't it? And I want you to take the Bible glasses off for a minute and, and think for a second, what it must have been like for Jairus. All in the world he needs to do, wants to do, his whole goal in life right now has come down to one thing. Get Jesus to my girl. And all these people are keeping that from happening. I don't know, as I read this, I, I almost get a little panicky. You think, you think Jairus was a little panicky here? I just need to get him there and these people are in the way. So they're they're walking. They're trying to get there. Now look at at verse 25. Now a certain woman um, who had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things at the hand of the physicians, she had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse when she heard about Jesus. She came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Imagine that. So here's the story. Now remember, don't miss the context of the story. This is a rush to get Jesus to Jairus's house as quickly as possible. And it's slow going because of this crowd. Now it's going to get worse. Um, Mark tells us, probably through Peter, uh, was Mark's source, that this lady had been sick for 12 years and that she had spent everything she had on trying to get better. And not only was she not better, what does he tell us? She's worse. I imagine she had a, a opinion of the health care of her day. Um, and we don't really know for sure, but but... But March seems to indicate here that she suffered, as she says, she suffered many things at the hand of physicians, um, that the archaic practices were painfully ineffective. There was a lot of superstition involved in medicine of the first century, a lot of superstition. And then a lot of very painful remedies that not only failed to help her, they actually hurt her. Uh, it, 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 It totally didn't work. And she had done everything she could. And this has gone on for 12 years. And I'm sure her Instagram feed just blew up with testimonials of products purported to bring healing, uh, brought healing to others. And, and she eagerly tried them all until her money and her hope was all gone. Right? Verse 27, when she heard about Jesus. I love that. Somebody told her. How did she hear about Jesus? That news came to her through a person. And you know what? We don't know who it is. But she heard. Now here's the reason she heard. She couldn't be there. Because of this disease that she had, she was unclean. She was not allowed to be around other people. She was not allowed to go to the synagogue and worship. It very well may have cost her her marriage. In the first century, it was very common for the Jewish men to divorce their wives over far lesser things than that. But here she would not be able to produce a child. And it may have cost her. She can't be around people. But she hears the rumors, just like the leper did outside of Capernaum early on in Mark. About this man named Jesus who has healed people. She knows nothing. No one could ever help her. But the more she heard about Christ, the more she knew that if I just touch him, touch his garments, I'll be made well. And what these long years of unfulfilled hope produced was the knowledge, this, don't miss this, that only Jesus could help her. She had one shot at this thing, and it was Jesus. He's the only person that can help me. And even though she'd never seen him and only heard about him, it was enough. And I just want to put a pin in that for a second and say, you might be that person to tell the woman in our text today, in your life, about Jesus. And that's what we're called to do, amen? We're called to go and tell. Somebody told her. And she realized, hey, I thought I lost all hope, but there's still a spark of hope left in this person called Jesus. And how many of you know that that's true today for us? Amen? There's always a spark of hope left when it comes to to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. She's a little bit off on her assessment of how this is going to work. And Jesus is going to gently correct her, but she's coming to him in faith knowing that only he can help her. Only he can help her. Can you relate to this woman today? I mean, she's tried everything, but she's never trusted Jesus. How many people do we know in our lives that have tried everything, but they've never trusted Christ to be the answer that they're looking for? And maybe that's you today. I know that has been me at different chapters of my life. But to be clear, the many elements I I just mentioned fall into the category of God's common grace toward mankind. To learn, to relate, to inform, to medicate, and to entertain all have their place, their gifts of God given to humanity. But here's the reality. As the children of God, we got to learn dependence on God. Ultimately, we must learn that other sources are all too willing to take and take and only Christ gives. Isn't that something? All these other sources will take and take, but only Christ gives. We've got to see that uh, hit Jesus as the one who can ultimately deliver us from our brokenness and deliver our friends and our family from their brokenness as well. So here's the second thought about waiting. The delay develops depth in your relationship with God. The delay develops depth in your relationship with God. Verse 29 said, immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Now, verse 30 is kind of a strange verse. And Jesus, look at this word, second time immediately, immediately in verse 29, and now immediately here. And it seems like at the same time. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out from him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched me? But his disciples said to him, you you see the multitude thronging you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. That's important. Verse 34, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well go in peace and be healed of your affliction who touched me I like how the King James puts it here it says he felt virtue go out from him not just power but 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 God's good power he felt something leave him and flow through him to course through him and he knew that that what that which course through him, was a power to heal based on faith. And he asked the question, who touched me? Now to the uninformed, think his disciples, that's, that's a dumb question. Everybody's, everybody's touching you. Who didn't touch you is a better question to ask Jesus. So the gig is up, and so the woman comes and, uh, forward, and, and she tells the whole thing. I love that in verse thirty-three. She told him the whole truth. She just lays the whole thing out. Then in verse thirty-four, it's interesting. Um, we see here. I think. I, would you not agree that her faith was was kind of tinged with superstition, and, and you could even say magic. She had this idea that, that the touching of his clothes would heal her. That, 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 that's very superstitious, if not bordering on, on magic, right? And Jesus is going is to correct her gently on this. He clarifies her confusion, because what does he say? It is your faith, not your touch, that has made you whole. Do you see that? Jesus doesn't say it was her touch. He said it's your faith. It was her her trust and not her touch that healed her. And don't miss that. Because some crazy activities go on today in relation to such things. And don't buy into any of that. There's no such thing as magic prayer cloths. That's deception. Even this woman who came to Jesus and touched him Jesus had to say, hey, I just want you to know. Let me tell you what healed you. It wasn't your touch. It was your trust. It was the fact that you trusted me. You trusted in me. That's what made you well. And it's also interesting to note here that her faith brought together two elements, faith and Jesus. See, her faith was in Christ. And in verse 34, Jesus calls her daughter. Did you know it's the only time in Scripture he's ever recorded calling someone daughter? She most likely was older than Jesus was. If you figure she'd been sick with this for 12 years, she's probably older than Jesus, and yet he calls her daughter. And I think part of the reason Jesus refers to this woman this way and why he called her out was so that she could know him and he could know her. Jesus did not want or intend for her to remain anonymous. He wanted a relationship with her. Many were pressing in on Jesus, but he wanted to know who had touched him in faith. And by outing her, Jesus turns this whole thing into something way more than just her physical healing. She was now pronounced clean to the community an overcomer by God's grace. And listen to this, a daughter of God. I think that's why he uses the word daughter. That's a relationship term, isn't it? And by the way, don't forget that she came privately, but she left publicly. She came in pain, but she left in peace. And that's what happens when you come to Jesus in faith today. And I want to remind you of that. Because we need more than a spiritual pick-me-up. You know what? Jesus is after a relationship with you. An everyday, moment by moment relationship with you. And be careful that you're not using God to your own purposes. And make sure that God is your Father. And that you know Him and that you walk with Him. that make sense today? I hope so. Let's look at this... Uh, next point and it's simply this the delay is meant to develop your faith so we're going to go back to, to Jairus now this lady is miraculously healed so a crazy amazing thing Jesus corrects her superstition and said it's not my clothes that healed you and it's not even your touch it's your trust you're healed by faith I'm all you need But this delay is meant to develop your faith. There's still a guy named Jairus. And I think that's what this whole section's about. The woman's almost a parenthesis in here to to, to create a a terrible dilemma. And you know what it is. We find out that during this delay, Jairus' daughter dies. It's terrible. Look at verse 35. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said to the ruler of the synagogue, to Jairus, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Isn't that terrible? It's as if they said, all hope is gone. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Because nobody can do anything about death (laughs) now we know the end of this story right we know the end of this event but I want to remind you Jairus didn't know he didn't know it seems logical doesn't it you know there's an old saying amongst the old timers while there's life there's hope indicating what's the negative of that When life is gone, there's what? No hope. And scientifically speaking, that's true, isn't it? Here's the reality. God's delays are not his denials. Man, that's hard for us, though, sometimes. It feels like a denial. But it's not. You know, there's three answers to prayer. Yes, no, and what? Wait. (laughs) I'd rather have a no than a wait. How about you? Because sometimes that wait seems like a no, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, Jesus is headed to, their, to Jairus' house. And then this, this woman comes that stops the whole parade. And, and, and it's a yet one more delay. As if the crowd wasn't bad enough, now we got this woman who's been healed. Great, I'm glad for you. But what about my girl? Look at Jesus' command in verse 36. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, now remember, he's he's literally over here. Jairus is, what does that tell you? Where is is Jairus? He is right next to Jesus. And we know it because in this loud crowd, Jairus hears the message, but so does Jesus at the same time. So Jairus is right there. I can picture, I think Jairus has Jesus by the arm and is trying to get him through the crowd, right? And then his guys come and say, hey, hey. It's, it's too late. Don't, don't bother the teacher anymore. She's dead. I, I can't imagine as a father what this guy's feeling right now. I, but I can almost let myself feel both the panic and then the sorrow and the grief that must be just almost overwhelming this guy. And then he hears another voice. And it's the voice of Jesus. And this is in a this is a, a command. It's interesting. Look what Jesus says. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Whew. You know what I see there? I see a negative and a positive. In a form of a command. At first is the negative. And Jesus starts off negative on purpose. Because what is is he getting ready to. What is Jairus getting ready to give into? Fear. Life without my daughter. He's, He's getting ready to just. Let the waves of sorrow and panic. Just wash over him. And Jesus. It's like Jesus snaps him out of that moment. And I imagine they're looking face to face. He says Jairus. Don't fear. Don't give in to that fear. And what's the positive? Instead, grab on to faith. Trust me. And put this together. Don't miss the context. What had Jairus just witnessed? He witnessed a woman who just trusted Jesus and was made what? Whole. Don't miss it. Jairus, do what that lady just did. Look what I just did. Now, what's the difference between a woman and his daughter? Woman was still alive, right? So now we're just kicking it up a notch. I don't know how this is going to work. But here's the reality. Fear is a glue that keeps you stuck. And faith is a solvent that sets you free. And some of you are stuck in fear today because you're unwilling and maybe even unable to exercise faith. And I think we're all going to be challenged with that right here. The woman had faith when she touched Jesus' garment. And Jesus knew Jairus needed a faith like hers, and he had just given him a living example. And now we get it, don't we? The woman's faith was to instruct and inform Jairus' faith. And there's another reason why Jesus called that woman daughter. Because Jairus had a daughter too. It's the only time Jesus ever does this. He calls her daughter, and maybe it was to remind Jairus, Verbally, I haven't forgot about yours either, right? This woman had a debilitating disease for how long? 12 years, and Jairus had a 12-year-old daughter. Anybody making that connection? Those are not by accident that these these years are mentioned in here. Jairus' faith is going to be tested as he is instructed, and commanded to trust Jesus. And if Jesus just healed that woman who was beyond hope and called her daughter, maybe Jesus could raise Jairus' daughter back to life. I don't know if Jairus really believed that or if he just said, okay, I'm with you. Let's, let's go. When Jesus moves slowly in your life, and doesn't he sometimes? (laughs) More slowly than you would like. You know what he's doing? He's developing your faith. It's his way of saying, trust me. Trust me, I got this. My wife reminds me constantly as I I get panicky about our children. She reminds me, she says, honey, you're not writing their story. God hasn't even given you the pen. Any parents with me? Man, I can can get crazy in my head. Right? Just lack of faith. That's not my story to write. God's writing that story. And God can do things that I could never do. And my faith gets developed in the times of waiting. I'll tell you, I'll give you just three thoughts here very quickly. I think there's three ways that our faith gets developed when we wait, and the primary way is through Scripture, man, go to the Word, go to the Bible, see how many times the faithfulness of God is is exemplified and demonstrated over and over and over again, all the way back to Genesis, through Revelation. It's one giant theme: God is faithful, and and we have to go read that. We got to remember. Just how faithful and able our God is. Go read chapters like Hebrews 12, the hall of faith. By faith, Abraham and Isaac went up that mountain. And they both came down. Go figure. Right? God is faithful. And he even names a place. Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. We got to go to the Scripture. And see the historical record, history. His story is a story of faithfulness. Amen? You can go to church history. Go look at what God did throughout the history of the New Testament church, starting in Acts. Go through the Reformation. Go look at, at what people suffered just for the sake of the gospel and how faithful God was to them, even in their deaths. And then I think we go to each other. We, we look to other believers. And we hear their testimony, their stories of faith. And we see that God is faithful. God, we need to hear those stories. My dear friend, Charlie Colgan, who's with the Lord today. Um, early on, after he was saved, he read a book about just God doing great things. And, and uh, when he got done with that book, he told his wife, he said, I want to I have some God stories in my life. That's what he always called them, God stories. He said, I'm going to start to believe God for big things. And they were in a seminary together in Texas. And um, there was a particular interesting character in the United States history named Ross Perot. Anyone remember Ross he was he's a Texan and, and Charlie, Charlie said, God, I need I I need some God stories and that man needs you so bad. And would you believe? Charlie just stepped down in faith, called his called Ross Perot's office, and said, I would just like ten minutes, I want to just introduce yourself and and uh, and hear your story. And he got in. They made an appointment and Charlie went, and at 10 minutes turned into 30 at Ross Perot's Um, suggestion and he for 30 minutes he shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with Ross Perot. Is that crazy? Come to find out Ross Perot's wife is a very salty believer. He was not. Yet he heard the gospel through this young man and was so impressed by that that later when he graduated this was a decade later they they were coming to Georgia here and they were raising some support So that they could do that and and make it financially. And Ross Perot supported Charlie in the ministry for years. Because this man trusted God. That God was big enough to do big things. And Charlie's whole, at his funeral, it was one God story after another. Told by his children. And oh, how it affected his kids. Are we believing God for great things today? Jairus didn't know the end of the story as he pushed through that crowd. I can't even imagine what it was like for him. And then this last one, the delay gives you more than you ask for. It really does. Look at verse 41. It's kind of crazy, but... Actually, let's back up a little bit here. Um, Verse 37. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James... Then he came to the house, so in other words, the crowd, he kicks the crowd out, right? He tells you, you all stay, it's, it's just Peter, James, and John, and, and um, Jairus. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, saw a tumult, and those who wept and wailed loudly. And when he came in the house, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Verse 40, and they ridiculed him. Literally, they laughed at him. But when he had put them all outside, and I don't think that was nicely. <laughs> we got this picture of Jesus as meek and mild. I think he was mean and wild. I mean, he didn't play. He kicks the professional mourners, which is what they were. They're hired to come in and get everybody crying because you, you need to cry and we're people are just, we're just not smart. Sometimes we need help. Uh, so they're all there getting the whole crowd worked up and Jesus says, he kicks them out. He evicts them. Get out. Of here. get out, Everybody outside. Um, I love it. And then uh, verse 40, they ridiculed him, but when he put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him, that's the disciples, the three, and entered where the child was lying. Verse 41, then he said, then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, Little Girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked. And here it is. For she was how old, church? Twelve years. And they were overcome with great amazement. And yet, look at this command. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it, and said that something should be given her to eat I don't know do you not find it interesting that the demoniac of Gadara he says you go tell everybody and to everybody in Israel he says tell nobody there's a reason for that Gadara was fresh ground that needed to be plowed so there'd be good soil for the gospel that was coming a few years later Israel Jesus was trying to keep his his ministry he was always pumping the brakes Because he knew it was headed to a cross and that they would would try to push that sooner than was God's plan. So he tells them to be quiet. It's interesting to me here that though Mark is written in the Greek of the Roman world, Jesus spoke in Aramaic and probably in Hebrew. So Mark records Jesus' Aramaic words when he says in there, uh, Talitha kumai. Um... And so he has to interpret them, because who's he writing to? He's writing to Roman Gentiles, right? They're not going to know Greek. They're not going to know Aramaic. They know Greek. But they're not going to know that term. But he uses the Hebrew, the Aramaic and Hebrew term. Of course, we know it means, little girl, I say to you, arise. Now, we know that Peter was Mark's source. And I think he probably was so moved by that experience it's like he could hear the words still dripping from Jesus' mouth in the original language in which he spoke it. Talitha kumai. This is how our Lord works in a delay. He goes beyond our simple request to something better. Anybody experienced that? We're already asking for scraps when He wants to give us the whole buffet isn't that true we settle for far too little we tell God oh provide for my needs but he wants to show you how we can get through anything we say oh God help my loneliness but he wants to become our friend that's closer than a brother we say God heal my sickness but he wants to show you that even in sickness he can overcome for you And that he will be there to resurrect you into his glorious presence one day. The woman wanted anonymity. Jairus wanted a quick trip to the house. But she was required to go public. And he was required to believe through death. They got more than they originally wanted. But they had to give more than they wanted as well. Isn't that true? Maybe that's what we mean when we say hurry up and wait. And that's Jesus. He will overwhelm you with grace, but he's looking for those who will live as sacrifices to him. Only then do we tap into the fullness of his grace and blessing. Jesus had proven that he was Lord over everything. He was Lord over a disastrous typhoon on the water. He was Lord over a demoniac. He was Lord over an incurable disease. And now he proves he's even Lord over death. I think that's the last peg to fall. This is the first resurrection that we see uh, Jesus doing he'll do three before it's over um, what's left for Jesus to prove to these men remember Mark starts, starts off his gospel saying this, this is the good news about Jesus the son of God but the characters in that gospel historical record were figuring it out as they went He's God over nature. He's God over the supernatural demons. He's God over sickness. And he's even God over death. He's just God. (laughs) What manner of man is this? The disciples by this time are left with no excuse to not believe. And yet one of them still dies in unbelief. That is a cautionary record for you and I may that not be us I know sometimes God calls us to wait waiting is never fun and even as our hymn this morning said I wait for it with patience I wait for God to and to act with patience and may we do that today would you pray with me father we come to you thanking you for your goodness and your kindness to us Understanding that sometimes you call us to wait and nobody like, really wants to do that, but we, we, we learn to trust you. It is in the waiting that our faith deepens. It is in the waiting that we understand our great need of you and our dependence upon you. It's in the waiting that we end up getting way more than we ever asked for or believed could be. And may that waiting bolster our faith today in Jesus name amen amen all right Courtney's going to come and we're going to sing a song together so if you would stand as God is speaking to your heart I want you to respond to what you've heard today maybe you don't need to sing maybe you just need to pray and talk to God you can do that here or you can do that in your seat but I want you to I want you to ask God where's my heart in the waiting what are you waiting for And maybe today you could just talk to him about that and tell him, I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. You pray as we sing.